So I just got back from Thailand yesterday with Anagarika Santusika and uh, we spent 10 days and on the outskirts of Bangkok and in Ayutthaya, which is a bit north of Bangkok. And we arrived on the 19th of May, which was the day the military opened fire on the demonstrators that have been there for two months. So um, while we were on our way over, we flew via Japan. While we were in Japan, we saw the news and uh, realized that things had got much more serious than they had been. And we weren't really sure whether we would actually get there or not. But uh, And curfews were, were laid down, so it looked like our plane wouldn't be able to fly until the next day. But uh, our captain got a special dispensation, so we, we flew into Bangkok on a, a rather inauspicious day. And we were met, we arrived late at night, and we were met by two lots of people, actually, we did feel very cared for. <laughs> both an old friend of mine and of ours actually and uh, uh, the hotel who had mistakenly thought I needed we needed a place to stay for the night in a hotel so we knew as soon as we arrived that we were going to be well cared for and uh, the the reason for going was a, a, a United Nations Day of Wesak conference so seven years ago the United Nations decided to make Wesak, uh, an international celebration, and to each year celebrate Wesak in a Buddhist country. So most years it's been in Thailand and it has also been in Vietnam. And the intention was to bring together Buddhist um, monastics and practitioners from different lineages and different countries to meet each other and to dialogue and to create uh, connections and understanding, better understanding between the different lineages. And also this year in particular was to, um, was focusing on global recovery, a Buddhist perspective on global recovery. So one of the objectives was to uh, encourage sustainable development and to uh, learn more about this and to encourage Buddhist leaders in communities all over the world to encourage our communities to become more aware of the very serious crisis really that this that we have got ourselves into on this planet and to find ways to begin to open to this because to begin with it's very difficult to actually acknowledge it it's, it's very big and to uh, find ways that we can address in our local communities, whether it's uh, through prayer or through action or through education, ways of, of helping to redress or address some of the harm that we've created through our ignorance, all of us, all of us human beings in our different ways. So it was a very, it was the first time I've been to Thailand and uh, the sisters have all been speaking about when they first came across the Dharma and uh, I actually came across the Dharma quite a number of years before I <coughs> heard that there was a living Sangha, monastic Sangha. It was 22 years ago that I first heard about the Sangha, that there were actually monks. I didn't hear about nuns but I heard about monks, that there were monks living and practicing in the world and that was for me a very exciting and wonderful thing 
So I heard about Ajahn Buddha Dasa, who's a picture of him up there, who was the first teacher of Ajahn Metta and Ajahn Santachita. And when I heard about this monk who was teaching Westerners about impermanence, um, I felt very inspired and I, and I knew that, okay, that's what I want to do, I want to be a Buddhist nun. It was very clear, and that's, that was when I was 20. And it's almost as if I'd been waiting for a, a way of living the, the teaching, but I had no idea how to do it. So when I heard about the Buddhist monastics, I was like, ah, oh, there it is, that's my, that's my path. The person who told me we became partners, and he'd actually spent a year in Thailand, um, sort of stumbled into Thailand uh, through a, a taxi driver. He was actually in Malaysia, and the taxi driver needed some money and asked whether he would he could drive my friend across the border so that he could have the money that he needed for that day. So he said, yeah, all right. <laughs> he didn't have very much money himself, so he ended up in Thailand. With, and all he knew was uh, the language that he knew was Thai Dai Mai, which means, do you speak Thai? And the answer, Lit Noi, a little bit. And uh, spent a year travelling in Thailand and ended up arriving at a, a small village in the north of Thailand and thinking that he'd arrived into a ceremony, some kind of festival. But, uh, on investigation he found that it was actually the funeral of, a, of one of the women of the village who who just died. And they saw his his arrival into the village, this, this western man, blonde-haired, blue-eyed young man, as a, as a kind of auspicious sign, and they actually built him a bamboo hut, and he lived there in the village for months and uh, just became part of the village until his visa ran out and he had to come back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was kind of a bit of a magical trip, I think. And uh, I, met him just, <laughs> I met him just after he'd come back and he was rather depressed coming back to Britain. Uh, you know, there was no, they, he was in the Midlands, there was no Buddhism around and I was a, a friend of his sister's at the time. So, so when we met and he discovered that my bookshelf was full of Buddhist books, he was quite... Uh, inspired and told me his, uh, about his retreat in, with Ajahn Buddha Dasa and his experiences of Thailand. And so I, I was very keen to go to Thailand with him and to see what it was like, but he didn't actually want to travel with me to Thailand. <laughs> so that was 20 years ago, 22 years ago, that I first wanted to go to Thailand and uh, I ended up uh, taking a different route and uh, ordaining in, in Amravati in England. And actually for quite a number of years as a nun, I haven't felt the wish to go to Thailand because it's a, a culture where the, the, the bhikkhu sangha is very much upheld and the, the nuns uh, wear white and keep eight precepts like Anagarika Santusika, generally speaking. Some keep ten precepts also. And traditionally the nuns cook and clean and serve for the monks. And uh, as a, a Sudhadrao in brown, um, until more recently this, this was not really recognised so, and also the Thais are, are very are quite petite mostly and the women are very beautiful and petite and feminine so I thought, oh gosh, you know, I'm going to be constantly mistaken for a man <laughs> for a monk if I go to Thailand and, and of course I have to travel with a woman and then, that would be, then they would be very confused <laughs> so I sort of have rather been um, not so keen to go until recently but over the last few years, there has been some movement towards uh, looking into a full donation for women. 
and quietly there's quite a number of very influential monks who are supportive of full ordination for women in Thailand and who are supporting bhikkhunis there. So there's a, a monastery in Chiang Mai where there are five bhikkhunis and the most senior nun there is an Abhidhamma expert. So she's been teaching monks for many years on Abhidhamma that she's very highly respected. And uh, they have, I think, five bhikkhunis and about 16 seminaries, which is pretty unheard of in Thailand generally, until recently. And there's also Bikuni Damananda, who's, um, her mother was also a Bikuni, who was the first Bikuni in Thailand, and she has, is doing a lot of more global work in raising awareness of the need for women to have also an opportunity to live as Buddhist monastics. So, and uh, I have to say my experience was uh, of being very welcome and <coughs> very well cared for. And so uh, we weren't, we didn't go anywhere near the area where there had been the, the demonstrations. We were staying in a, a very lovely house of an old friend just outside of, on the edges of Bangkok in rice paddy fields. So, you know, a nice house, it wasn't a little shack. And so, uh, without, I mean, through the news and through their shock, really, that we knew about what was going on, but we, we didn't feel at all influenced, we weren't kind of in any kind of danger. So that was a very interesting time to arrive after all these years, arrive at this on this most kind of explosive day. And it was very helpful for, for me to actually be in the country and to understand a little bit more. It was only there for ten days, so it was just a little bit, but understand a little bit more about the the culture and you know, what is valued in that culture and what is not valued. And and also the, the sense of cosmology. So we've been tonight we we call the Davis. We actually we call it calling the Davis, but we actually call all kinds of invisible beings we call the devas, which are like celestial beings. We call the nagas, which are the dragons. Mm-hmm. We call the gandavas, which are like um, birds that live in the realm of sound. So they live in cities of sound. And the yakas, which are like spirits. So you could say like uh, earth spirits and tree spirits. And some are, some are good and some are helpful and some are very unhelpful. It's a whole mixture. So in the in the beginning of our ceremony, we called the these beings, these uh, invisible beings, to witness. And in Thailand, this is very much uh, it's part of the mindset. So these are are part of the neighbourhood, you could say. And it struck me while I, while we were looking around one particular monastery, and I was looking at the murals, these beautiful murals on the walls. It struck me how you know how very different the the uh, American mindset and the Thai mindset is, and how no wonder we have we're encountering problems. <laughs> the, you know, the Western mind and the Eastern mind. There are some places where they just don't overlap. So it was very helpful for me just to to get a bit more of an understanding of that, and to recognise. You know, I I do have a sense coming from Wales where the the the. Um, national flag has a dragon on it. I do <laughs> have a sense of the the, um, the invisible beings as being part of our life, actually, and, and certainly I've felt at times supported and protected by unseen forces. But also, you know, I am a, a Western woman in the, in the Western world, and there are some areas where uh, this just does not translate into the Thai system, so... So it was a it was a helpful kind of educational time on that level, and also to meet 
Um, there, there are a lot of monks, many, many, many monks, Thai monks there at this conference. There were, I don't know how many, there were probably, I think there's something like 2,000 plus, 2,500, 600 people at the conference itself. It was very big. There was, I mean, I would make a guess that there was probably a thousand Thai monks there. There were also many Japanese people. And then there were the foreigners who were real. So there were the Thai, the Japanese, and the foreigners. Those are three categories. <laughs> and um, there were maybe, I don't know, 40 or 50 um, Vietnamese Sangha from the Thich Nhat Hanh community. They were very, very beautiful, very inspiring, very mindful, and you know, working together in a very uh, harmonious way. And it was beautiful to see they're just starting uh, to villages, for, one for monks and one for nuns. And there were the, our local bhikkhunis, Aya uh, Tataloka and Aya Sobana were there. And um, a couple of Thai bhikkhunis who were living outside of Thailand. So one was living in Burma and one in Sri Lanka. And a few Taiwanese bhikkhunis. And I think about six Mechi, so Thai nuns, about six of them. So there was, uh, it was predominantly, you know, there were a lot of monks. <laughs> and it was interesting to, just to see how, um, on, the, on the stage, how it was very much, there was, there was very little awareness actually of, of gender equality. It just wasn't in the, in the mindset, even though it was actually mentioned as one of the reasons for the conference. It was very, very, very much not uh, in people's awareness. Um, and the first day was a day of ceremonies and uh, of, of welcoming and of uh, a little bit of information about the, the, the uh, subject of the conference. And the second day was more discussion. So there were a number of different groups. I probably won't be able to remember them all, but it was Buddhist ecology, Buddhist uh, economics, well-being. These were all, all ways of addressing global recovery, so well-being, harmony, mental well-being, wasn't it? Harmony, education. So, and again, Tuska and I, we both attended the Buddhist Ecology uh, Conference, which was uh, very interesting. It was also for me very interesting to see the, the play. The, the, quite one of the subjects that quite took over was the question of whether is this Buddhist ecology or is this ecology approached from a Buddhist perspective? So... Unfortunately, the academics got very kind of detailed about, <laughs> about what exactly, you know, whether this really was Buddhism or whether it was ecology and how, what we should call it. And, and uh, tended to, to be more focused on the history that you can find in the, in the suttas uh, 2,500 or so years ago, spoken at that time around the, the ecology at that time. So they were more focusing on that area, the, the academics, and then there was some, a very uh, inspiring man, Indonesian man, who was trained as a, as a veterinary surgeon, and he'd left his work to, to get involved in ecology, and so he was living in Indonesia in a forest where there were a lot of springs and a lot of water, and he would um, bring children to the forest, young school groups, and get them literally in touch with the water and the trees and the earth so they could to have a, a direct connection with the environment. You know, he, was, he was very clear that as long as we're just doing it from books and, and theory, then we're not really going to 
get the point and we have to actually get into contact with the elements directly and see what is happening and see the way nature works and then and see what we are doing how we are intervening and the harm that that is making in order for people to really get the point and to start relating in a more respectful way he was coming very much from the heart he, he was moved from his, his from the compassion that arose in his heart to do something and uh, he was getting quite criticised by the academics because his presentation wasn't uh, Buddhist enough. And at one point he just got up and he said, I need help. I'm in Indonesia, we're a small country, we're a Buddhist minority, and I, and I don't know, all, I don't have all of the suttas, I don't have time to go to all of the suttas, but I know that this needs to happen. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and he called on one of the men who was actually criticising him, you know, who was Malaysian. He said, please, you're my neighbour, you're, you're Malaysian, you're my neighbour, please help. Please help me with what you have, with the knowledge you have. <laughs> this is very touching, this moment of, of kind of just real honesty and connection. And it's very beautiful. And from that, they, they got together and have started a, a, an email network for for people who are in, interested in Buddhist Buddhism and ecology. And that's just at the very beginnings now, and so they're looking at ways that, that people can share skills and work together and support each other. So that was, for me, that was like the, the, the whole conference, all of the all of the pomp and ceremony, the prince coming, the military, the hundreds of people, thousands of people, the you know gifts, all of that, the the cultural show at the end. It was all for that moment to happen where those people <laughs> could connect <laughs> and look at how can we move forward, what can we actually do, and how can we help each other. That's very very inspiring. And uh, just before we we uh, we went to up to the to the conference in Ayutthaya, we visited Mechi Sansani, who some of you may know, I don't know. She, I, I, when I was watching her, I just thought, oh, this woman is a modern day saint. She's really an extraordinary person. And uh, she's developed uh, basically an oasis in the midst of Bangkok, which is a very busy city full of pollution, cars, people, you know, it's a very noisy, busy city. And she's, I don't know how many acres of land there is, it's not a huge amount of land, but she has um, a few acres of land. And she's planted trees, actually she planted quite mature trees and took care of them. And she's made lakes, I mean, not herself, but she's organised and, and motivated and, and funded um, uh, these lakes with lily, pond, lily pads, huge lily pads growing and uh, uh, eating places where people can come and eat in this lovely environment. And there's a, a Buddha relic hall where you can sit and meditate, it's very beautiful. And a large kind of open shrine hall, uh, like a Buddha Rupa and a large wooden flooring where you can sit and meditate. And she also um, provides area for retreats, for yoga retreats there, and meditation retreats. So we arrived kind of unannounced and uh, I'd met her translator in England, so we called the translator and said, hello, you know, we've, we've met you in Amrabati, we're in, we're here, kind of at the gates of, the <laughs> of your place. And, uh, and they invited us to come in and we meditated a little while and then we were waiting for a, a little break in Major Sensony's schedule where she could meet us. So as we were sitting waiting, she was actually being interviewed by a TV documentary group who were interviewing the, uh, they were investigating the effects of meditation on the brain. So she was uh, having an interview with them and then she had about 
maybe 15 minutes break where she she greeted about 15 people and then stopped and talked with us. She immediately remembered Anna Karakasantisika, who'd been there before, and, and um, spent a bit of time welcoming us. We shared some brochures with her and told us about her, what we were doing, and she gave us some advice on being patient with looking for land, which was very nice. <laughs> Take the time and find the right place. <laughs> And then, uh, after she met with us, she was meeting with a thousand volunteers who, yeah, she's very impressive, who, <laughs> who uh, were coming to go onto the streets of Bangkok to listen to the troubles of the people who've just been through two days before, mm. through the shootings and the 25 buildings being set on fire. And, and this, uh, they, the volunteers, it was all very, you know, like it had just happened, so two days before. And Joy, the translator, she said that one of the, the men involved in the major sense his place had, had about 14,000 friends on Facebook and had put this invitation out on Facebook, you know, is there anybody who, who could volunteer for this work? And uh, over a thousand people responded and they were, so they were about to arrive just uh, <laughs> in a few minutes. <laughs> and so she was going to be giving training to them. No, actually they were, yeah. And then she's going to be giving training to them as to how to how to listen to people who've been through this trauma. Mm-hmm. And she's really recognising you know, deep listening is what is needed in this situation. So that was a real blessing to see her in action. You know, she was very, very present and very beautiful, very dignified. And uh, while multitasking with these enormous projects and you really had a sense that she she just knows how to respond to a situation you know mm-hmm. not flustered just like okay how do we relate to this how do we respond to this and so it was very inspiring she also came at, on the last day of the conference at the, uh, which was in, held in the united nations building in, in bangkok and uh, you know to show her support and so i was just very impressed at how she operates and there are also about 15 Mechis there, so um, eight precept nuns living there. And uh, also some lay support, like lay volunteers. And on the, as we left along the walls, which is just on, you just basically come straight off the street into her little oasis, and then you go back into the street again. And then along the wall there were, there were you know, pictures of, a, they had these kind of cute pictures of a Mechi and little children and uh, cartoons. And then and these Dhamma quotes, sayings along the wall of hers. So as people walk along, even if they don't know it's there, they, they can't help noticing these, these kind of colourful murals and then these, these Dhamma quotes. And the one that caught my eye was, in, in the mind there is chaos and emptiness, and it is your choice where you dwell. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's very, very good. <laughs> <clears throat> So I uh, also I was very grateful to Mark. Actually, I thought of you while I was in Japan <laughs> because Mark made the executive decision to say I could go ahead and get the ticket, which is quite expensive, uh, on on trust that, that it would be reimbursed. And while we're in Japan, I was thinking, Oh my goodness, sorry, Mark, we might not get it. <laughs> but uh, fortunately, we did. So, so uh, yeah, very very glad to be able to go and. So uh, I, I hope to, to <coughs> go back next year and to, to continue making connections and you know, let, let people know about what we're doing here. And one, one of the things that struck me while I was talking with the, the uh, 
Thai bikinis was how amazed they were when I gave them a leaflet that they were they were saying there are three of you there are three of you on the I said well there are four actually there's another another mm-hmm. non-stay with us and for them you know, it's very difficult to have a sense of community because there are so few of them mm-hmm. so they were really kind of amazed I said yes in England we, we have ten nuns in one monastery and we had ten nuns in one monastery and I think six, six, six in another yeah. and they were amazed that, that that was actually going on because they, they're also very much pioneering and mm. kind of struggling along on their own. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, it was very good just to, to connect up and just to have a sense of mutual support. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.